Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. On our last program, we went over sacraments in general and the sacrament of baptism in particular in the in-brief statements of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Today's program, we'll go over the sacrament of confirmation and begin the sacrament of the Eucharist. We'll see how far we can get going through the in-brief statements, the summaries at the end of each section of the Catechism. The Catechism of the Catholic Church begins summarizing the doctrine on confirmation by citing the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Hearing that Samaria had welcomed the word of God, the apostles who were in Jerusalem sent Peter and John. These went down, therefore, to the Samaritans and prayed for them, that finally the Holy Spirit would be given to them, because he had not yet fallen on any one of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John aimed at imposing their hands, and they received the Holy Spirit. There are in certain quarters Jesus-only Christians, so-called, who, based on this reading of the Acts of the Apostles, forgetting the Great Commission at the end of St. Matthew, will baptize only in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Catholic Church for 2,000 years now has baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is given, but is given in a special way by the imposition of hands. As we see here, Peter and John. Confirmation perfects the baptismal grace. She is the sacrament which gives the Holy Spirit for us to be rooted more profoundly in divine filiation. We're rooted as adopted sons in the Son, the one only Son, Jesus, in baptism, but this is a more profound rooting, a deepening, incorporating us more firmly to Christ, making more solid our tie with his mystical body, his bride, Mother Church. We associate more to her mission, the mission of the Church, and we are helped to render witness to the Christian faith by words accompanying our works. So not only good works, not only good deeds, both together, all motivated, all given the ability by God's grace. Confirmation, like baptism, imprints on the soul of the Christian a spiritual sign or indelible character. This is why we cannot receive this sacrament but one single time in life. We spoke about the sacramental character some in our introduction to the sacraments last program. In the East, this sacrament, confirmation or chrismation, is administered immediately after baptism. It is followed by participation in the Eucharist, a tradition that measures in relief the unity of the three sacraments of Christian initiation. In the Latin Church, in the West, we administer this sacrament 
when the age of reason is attained, about seven years of age, give or take, and we have reserved ordinarily the celebration to the bishop, signifying thereby that this sacrament affirms the ecclesial bond, bond with the church, since the bishop stands not only in persona Christi Capitus, but in persona ecclesiae, in the person of the church. Even in the West, the Latin West, if an adult is baptized or someone is baptized age of seven or older, uh, all three sacraments are still given now. Baptism, Confirmation, and Eucharist. A candidate for confirmation who has attained the age of reason, seven or more, must profess the faith, must be in a state of grace, not just the state of Tennessee or whatever part of the Union you find yourself in, but a state of grace that is free from mortal sin. Normally this occurs by a good confession, not only the grace of the absolution, the mercy of God, but a state of grace to be found pleasing in God's sight. To be confirmed, one must have the intention to receive the sacrament and be prepared to assume the role of disciple and witness of Christ in the ecclesial community, the community of the church, and in temporal affairs. For more than a generation now, so many people have been focusing only on life in the church and forgetting about being that salt for the world, that leaven in society. If I'm only a Christian when I darken the doors of the church, woe to me and woe to the world. We are to bring the gospel, we are bring, to bring our faith, our Lord, into the world, in the world, but not of the world. This is faith in action. The essential rite of confirmation is anointing with holy chrism on the forehead of the baptized, in the east, equally on other organs of the senses, with the imposition of the hand of the minister and the words, Receive the mark of the gift of the Holy Spirit, or in the Byzantine rite, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit in the Roman rite. What is this mention of chrism? There are three sorts of holy oils Mother Church uses. The oil of catechumens, sacred chrism here mentioned, and the oil of the sick. All three are blessed during Holy Week by the bishop at the Mass of the Chrism, it's a very impressive ceremony, and those oils will be used throughout the diocese for the coming year. So if you can ever get to the Chrism Mass in the Diocese of Knoxville, it's normally Tuesday of Holy Week at Sacred Heart Cathedral in Knoxville. It's a very beautiful ceremony. Normally the oils are all olive oil, Although Pope Paul VI allowed any plant oil to be used for the anointing of the sick. Chrism, the sacred chrism, however, has a balsam, a perfume mixed in with it. And there's a breathing. The bishop 
breathes over the oil, into the oil, mixed with balsam. As our Lord breathed on the apostles in the upper room, giving to them the spirit of the Father, his own spirit, spirit received by the bishops as they received the fullness of the grace of holy orders. When confirmation is celebrated separately from baptism, its tie with baptism is expressed, among other things, by the renewal of baptismal promises, where we renounce Satan and all his empty works and all his empty promises, as well as affirm our faith in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, using the outline of the Apostles' Creed. The celebration of confirmation during the Eucharist contributes to emphasize the unity of the sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. We don't repeat baptism, we don't repeat confirmation, but in the Lord's Prayer, our Savior reminds us, give us this day our daily bread. And that's our next sacrament of which we should speak, the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist. In the fourth gospel, St. John, chapter 6, verses 51, 54, 56, we hear the Lord say to us, Jesus said, I am the living bread, come down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He remains in me, and I in him. Elsewhere in the same chapter, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. And some thought this was a hard saying, and they left his company. The Lord Jesus did not chase after them, say, Oh, I was only being figurative. I was only using imagery. No, he got in the face of the apostles, he said, are you also going to leave? And what did the first bishop of Rome say? What did St. Peter, the first pope, say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And not only does the Lord Jesus have the words of everlasting life, he is the word of everlasting life. He is the word made flesh who feeds us with his very self, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, that we might be changed into his holy people, no less than he changes the bread and wine into his very self. The Eucharist is the heart and the summit of the life of the church, because in her Christ associates his church and all his members to his sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving offered once for all on the cross to his Father. By this sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Mass, Made present, making present the sacrifice of Calvary, he spreads the graces of salvation on his body, which is the church. Here the Catechism cites the Second Vatican Council's Constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, Article 11. Here we're presented with that very rich phrase, the body of Christ. It refers to that which is at the Father's right hand now conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the body of Christ. It refers also to his church, the mystical body of Christ. 
head and members, Christ the head of his body, the church. But it also speaks to us of the sacrament of his body, the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharistic celebration always carries the proclamation of the word of God, thanksgiving to God the Father for all his good deeds, above all for the gift of his Son, the consecration of the bread and wine, and participation in the liturgical banquet by the reception of the body and blood of the Lord. These elements, these four elements, constitute one single and same act of cult, worship, adoration, all together. This proclamation of the word of God on a weekday would have one reading, a psalm, and then a gospel passage. The reading is often from the Old Testament. Except during Easter, where it's always from the Acts of the Apostles, that early history of the church. During Sundays and solemnities, we have a first reading, a psalm, a second reading, and then a gospel. There's always a gospel at each sacrifice of the Mass, at each Eucharistic celebration. And the proclamation of the word includes not only the reading of sacred scripture aloud in the context of the believing community, but also the preaching, the explanation of the sacred text. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch who did not know what he was reading until St. Philip explained it to him. Philip, one of the apostles, prompted by the Spirit, catch up to that chariot. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone explains it to me? And beginning with this passage, Philip explained the faith. Of whom does the prophet speak, himself or another? We know the prophet spoke of the Lord Jesus. And all the words of Scripture are about Christ. And Christ came to reveal not only us to ourselves, but the Eternal Father to us. And the sacrifice of the Mass makes present that one only sacrifice of Good Friday, when Christ gave his very life blood, his life breath, for our redemption, for our salvation. The reference here in the Catechism to this thanksgiving to God the Father for all his good deeds, this is a reference to the great prayer, the Eucharistic prayer. The new missal of Pope Paul VI, renewed by John Paul II, has four main Eucharistic prayers. The first one, used for more than a millennia, in its written form, attributable to Pope St. Gregory the Great. The center of all the Eucharistic prayers is the consecration. Here, the Catechism of the Catholic Church is very clear. The Eucharistic celebration always carries the proclamation of the word, the thanksgiving of God the Father. That's the Eucharistic prayer. Above all, the consecration of the bread and wine. The words of consecration are when the priest says, This is my body. This is my blood. Spoken over the bread of wheat and the wine of grape. The reference to participation in the liturgical banquet by reception of the body and blood of the Lord is a reference to actually receiving Holy Communion. Why did the Lord institute the sacrament? That it might be received. Take and eat, take and drink, and so we do when we're well disposed, when we've 
observe the fast, when we believe all that God has revealed, all that the church proclaims and professes, these elements, all together, one single act, one single cult of faith. We worship God. The Eucharist is the memorial of the Passover of Christ, that is to say, the work of salvation accomplished by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, work made present by the liturgical action. Here we have, again, reference without using the phrase ex opere operato, by the work, the work is done. This Passover of Christ reminds us of another Passover. The angel of death hovered over the houses of Israel in Egypt, and where the blood had marked the doors, the angel of death passed over. This blood of the Passover lamb of old prepared for Christ, who is the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, whose blood marks the lintels of our lips when we well receive. And he has overcome death, the cross, the grave. In him we live and move and have our being. It is Christ himself, the great eternal priest of the new alliance, Nouvelle Alliance, New Covenant, who by the ministry of priests, the hierarchical ministerial sorts, offers the Eucharistic sacrifice. You may hear my voice, or see my eyes or hands, but it is Christ who speaks and acts through me when I say, This is my body, this is my blood. It is further the same Christ really present under the species, under the appearances of bread and wine who is offered in the Eucharistic sacrifice. It may look like bread, smell like bread, taste like bread after the consecration, but still the church believes the power of Christ's words, the intention, the institution of the Lord, that we might eat and drink not unto condemnation but unto salvation. Only validly ordained priests can preside at the Eucharist and consecrate bread and wine for them to become the body and blood of the Lord. This is not to say that our separated brethren, those who are not yet in full communion with the Bishop of Rome, those who do not guard the sacrament of holy orders, do not do a good thing when they pray. Oh, by all means they do. It is anticipatory. It is preparing them for the one only sacrifice, which mysteriously requires a priest. After all, in the upper room, who was there? The apostles. Who were their successors? The bishops. Who aids the bishops? Their priests. The essential signs of the Eucharistic sacrament are bread of wheat and wine from the vine. Remember, Cana, it was not grape juice. At Cana, the Lord Jesus changed water into wine. At the Last Supper, he changed the bread and wine into his very self. And when we well receive, he changes us into the saints he's called us to be. This bread of wheat and wine from the vine are invoked, the blessing, the benediction of the Holy Spirit. The priest pronounces the words of consecration said by Jesus during the Last Supper. This is my body given up for you. This is the cup of my blood. See St. Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through 29. See St. Mark chapter 14, verse 12 through 25. 
See St. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. And see St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Essential signs, that without which, if you don't have the bread, if you don't have the wine, if you don't have the priest, there's no Mass, there's no Eucharist. Just like if there's no water and no invocation of the Trinity, there's no baptism. If there's no single man, no single woman free to marry, freely entering into the sacred contract, there's no marriage. Essential sign. The sign is something visible, pointing beyond itself. By the work of consecration, there is the transubstantiation of bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Under the consecrated species, the appearances of bread and wine, Christ himself living and glorious, is present in a true manner, in a real manner, in a substantial manner, his body, his blood, his soul, and his divinity. These seven characteristics, very important. These seven characteristics given not only in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is sometimes called the Catechism of the Second Vatican Council, but here the Catechism cites the Council of Trent. That council was called to answer the denial of so many in the 1600s of the reality of the sacraments. Christ himself, living and glorious, he dies no more. He's at the Father's right hand, drawing us to himself. He's present in a true manner. Really, this is Jesus. In a real manner, a true manner, substantial, that is, in the being. It was bread, it was wine, that was the being. By the power of God, and if God can bring something out of nothing in creation, surely he can change something into something. So he changes what looks and smells and tastes like bread and wine into his very self. Who's to say he can't do that? Even if the appearances remain the being, is what changes. This requires metaphysical thinking, and for some centuries now, so many have had difficulty in doing just that, metaphysical thinking. That is, thinking about being. Body, blood, soul, and divinity, the whole Christ, present in every consecrated particle of the host, present in every drop of the consecrated Precious blood, the wine changed into Christ, whole and entire. In that it is a sacrifice, given up for you, the Eucharist is also offered in reparation for the sins of the living and the dead, and to obtain from God spiritual or temporal benefits. So, we have our various intentions when we come to the altar. Reparation, payback. Payback for what? For the sins of the living. For the sins of the dead, we apply the grace of Christ, one on Calvary's height, to the sins of our day, the sins of our age, for our own and those of our neighbors, that the words of Christ, Father, forgive them, might be heard anew, afresh. To obtain from God spiritual benefits, God save my soul, God save my neighbor, God bless us, God give us strength, give us faith. These are spiritual benefits, but temporal benefits, God help me to find a good job. God help me in this endeavor. 
or that. The one who receives Christ in Eucharistic communion must be found in a state of grace, not only in the state of Tennessee or whichever state of the union you find yourself in, but in a state of grace that is free from mortal sin, see from, free from serious or grave sin. If anyone is conscious of having sinned mortally, that is deadly, he cannot approach the Eucharist without having received beforehand absolution in the sacrament of penance. And we'll have more on the sacrament of penance in a later program. See here, though, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 23 through 29. Let a man examine himself, lest he eat and drink condemnation unto himself. Holy communion with the body and blood of Christ grants union of the communicant with the Lord. He remits venial sins and preserves from grave sins. Because the ties of charity between the communicant and Christ are reinforced, the reception of the sacrament reinforces the unity of the church, the mystical body of Christ. Here, the Catechism gives us five special graces connected with a good reception, a worthy reception of this sacrament of the Lord. Union with the Lord. How could we be much closer if he's our food? But unlike a Big Mac or a box of Krispy Kreme donuts we eat, when we eat them, they become a part of us. When we well receive the Eucharist, we become a part of Christ, one with him. Venial sins, washed away, cleansed, healed, preserves from grave sins not only by the grace he gives but also as an incentive to avoid grave sins because if we're in grave sin we can't receive the Eucharist well reinforces charity between the one who well receives and Christ who is received and if we're united with Christ we're united with his church which is his mystical bride his mystical body Remember when Saul was converted and became Paul on the Damascus Road, what did Jesus say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Who was Saul persecuting? The church. Christ the Lord founded one church and one church only. And she is that Eucharistic communion. The church lively recommends to the faithful, that is all of us, to receive Holy Communion each time they participate in the celebration of the Eucharist. She has made this their obligation at least one time a year. But when the priest says the body of Christ, the answer is Amen. What does that Amen mean? It means, yes, I do believe, so be it. This is the body of Christ, the sacrament of the Eucharist. But it also means, yes, I believe all that Mother Church believes and professes to be revealed by God. So we are to believe all that, and we are to receive the sacrament of faith. May we be faithful all our days. Because Christ himself is present in the sacrament of the altar, he must be honored with a cult of adoration, the worship. That's what that word cult means. The visit to the most holy sacrament is one proof of gratitude, a sign of love and a duty of adoration toward Christ our Lord. So said Pope Paul VI in his letter, Mysterium Fidei, the mystery of faith, words which formerly were found in the words of consecration 
in the older form, extraordinary form of the Roman liturgy, Christ has passed from this world to the Father. We are given in the Eucharist the pledge of glory near him. Participation in the holy sacrifice identifies us with his heart. Remembering our strength throughout the pilgrimage of this life, we make our wish to life eternal, and we unite again to the Church of Heaven, to the Holy Virgin Mary, and to all the saints. Until next time, God bless you.